This episode of Stuff You Should Know is sponsored by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with the Squarespace website. Go to squarespace.com and set your website apart. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry, and it's Stuff You Should Know. How's it going? Pretty good. You like my Scotland shirt? That's great. You're going to wear that in Scotland? Yeah, that's why I got it. Oh, okay. I got a shirt for each city. Nice. Scotland, the country. Well, Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. That's a city. Yeah, I think they'll be behind the Scotland shirt in Edinburgh. I think they will, too. (laughs) They're going to stand up and do that Arsenio, like, woo, woo, woo. (laughs) Yeah, because they're living in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I bought a shirt for each city on our UK tour because I'm just, you know, I can write it off. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just a very me thing to do. Yeah. I'll keep the Manchester shirt a secret. Oh, I know what it is. Do you? I think so. All right. We'll uh, we'll talk later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> In the meantime, Chuck. Yeah. Let's talk about triage. Let's talk about the French language. Okay. Trier. Okay. Means to sort. Did you know that? Which means yeah. that Lars von Trier's name is Lars von to sort. Yeah. Sort or sift. I saw another meaning, but everywhere else said sort. And apparently it was originally used exclusively in reference to sorting vegetables. Oh, really? Yeah. Little known fact, but the um, pre-industrial French society was agrarian. So they would say, vegetable trier, and that means... Sure. And they'd snap their fingers and point <laughs> at sort. a pile of vegetables. <laughs> sort veggies. Root veggies in France. Yeah. Well, they have those everywhere, but... But they, they're bonkers for root veggies in France. Sure. They, they're, they have good, clean, simple food in that country. Yeah. Good, good food. Yeah. What's it called? The uh, French food. It's not not the Trinity. That's like a Cajun, but the uh, mirepoix. Oh, I've not heard that before. Yeah. Is it the same thing? No, I think mirepoix is uh, carrot, onion, and one other thing. Parsley? Celery? Celery? Jerry says celery. Jerry, I think you're right. Are you right? You know you're right? Okay. In Cajun land, it's like bell pepper, onion, and what? And uh, garlic? It wouldn't be garlic. I was trying to think of something funny, and I failed. Uh, my brain just like <laughs> went, pew. Yeah. Well, it's late in the day. Just trying to think of something about uh, like an Angel Heart reference. Man, that movie is crazy. Yeah. Still holds up. I saw it. Really? Well, actually, I can't say it holds up because I never saw it as a kid. I saw it as an adult recently. I think it's still on Netflix. It's you know, a, it's uh, a good movie. Lisa Bonet is in this season of Ray Donovan, mm-hmm. and she looks exactly the same. Yeah. Vampire. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Very pretty lady. I was crushed on her big when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? Sure. When she was super laid back, um, what was it Lisa Huxtable? Yeah, for sure. Or no. They didn't. Her name wasn't Lisa Huxtable. It was something Huxtable. Uh, well, probably not because her real name's Lisa. Yes, you know sometimes shows like use the actor's first name as the character's name. Yeah. Even though they're not playing themselves. Yeah. I always thought that was weird. 
Yeah, I always wonder if it's because they have a hard time remembering their character's name. Right. Or the writer's like, I just can't come up with a name. Yeah. I'll just call them the real name, okay? Sue me. And I know people get so tired of screaming at us about, uh, like, oh, what was the name of that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, her name was this. Mm-hmm. I do that to other podcasts, so I, I feel your pain. Sure. I heard one just the other day. It, I think Judge John Hodgman, he couldn't think of something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, navy blue. Yeah. Anyway, I apologize for all the things we don't know. Uh, Trier, to sort, was to the sort root vegetables. foundation of the term triage. Yeah, and the reason why the French got to got naming rights for this process that we'll describe in a minute is because it was basically invented by a French person. A yeah. pretty remarkable guy, from what I can tell. He had a great name. He was a Napoleon surgeon, the chief surgeon of Napoleon's Imperial Guard. His name was Baron Dominique Jean Laret. Yeah. And he was uh, a uh, he was a bad dude in all the best ways. He was, and this was at a time when uh, warfare was uh, getting pretty serious. Um, I mean, it was already serious, but people were dying uh, in mass amounts of people, soldiers, dying on the field yeah, in great, great numbers. And so he said, you know what? We need to come up with a system, a way to take care of these dudes uh, so they're not waiting over there with a bone sticking out of their leg, yeah, waiting for attention. Well, this dude also, I mean, he came to this conclusion because he was running around battlefields, like performing amputations. Oh, I'm sure. um, Just just, uh, in a sea of bodies. Yeah, like bite, bite on your gun barrel while I cut your leg off. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he, uh. Not barrel, but stock. Sure. You could uh, bite yeah, on your gumbar, but that'd be really, yeah. They yeah. ended up needing new teeth. Sure. Um, the wood is much more comfortable when you're having your leg amputated without anesthetic. <laughs> I would say so. Um, but while he's running around performing these battlefield amputations, he, he realizes quite quick, quickly that some people are in need of help more urgently than others. Yeah. And he, he decided it would be pretty awesome if you could figure out a way, like you were saying, to devise a system of arranging people very quickly so that um, you could give aid to the people who needed it most. Yes. And uh, to do that, you would need to sort through the people, mm-hmm. hence triage. As if they were root vegetables. <laughs> right. Uh, so what he did initially, and it's gone through some changes that we're going to talk about, but... The initial incarnation of triage was only based on severity of injuries. No other factor. Well, even before that, and this is another reason this guy's awesome, when he, like, there was a very vague form of triage before, but it was based on your social standing. Oh, really? So, yeah, I was reading that, like, if you have a well, uh, that, of course, a guy who's, like, a, an aristocrat mm-hmm. with a broken leg yeah, yeah. and just a grunt whose bowels are hanging out, you fix the broken leg first. Yeah. Which is senseless. And Laure was like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. It's going to be based on severity of, of injury. Oh, nice. Yeah. Or need for help. And Napoleon was like, that's great. But, you know, I'm at the top of the list no matter what, right? Yeah. Hey, have you heard people calling me the Antichrist behind my back? Because I've been hearing rumblings about this and it's bugging me. You know, I'm not really short. I'm average. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and the process went on to change a little bit more uh, with British surgeon, naval surgeon, John Wilson. Right. In 1846, he said, you know what, let's refine this a little bit and let's put some focus on people 
who can be successfully treated. So not necessarily that guy's got all his bowels hanging out. He's the most severely injured. He thought, well, you know what? That guy might not make it. Right. So maybe we shouldn't spend so much time. It's harsh, but it's war. It is. And that was a huge shift because it, up to that point, if you were a medic, um, like you just treated people. Yeah. Now you have a decision to make with each person. Do you let that person die? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're probably going to die. Yep. And you could be saving other people rather than wasting your talents and resources on this person right here. Yeah. Make them comfortable. Maybe throw some morphine their way. Yeah. And then, you know, go about your business. That was a big, big shift in, in triage and in battlefield triage. And in the U.S., it didn't, um, they didn't, we didn't, we didn't catch up very quickly. Yeah. By the Civil War. So that guy, uh, Laurie was, was um, working on triage, inventing it in the 1790s. Um, John Wilson refined it in, in the 1840s. Yeah. In the Civil War still, we were doing like first come, first serve. Yeah. Whoever was closest to the medic was who got worked on first. Mm-hmm. In the Civil War, in the 1860s still. Crazy. It wasn't until um, I think the late 1860s or early 1870s that the U.S. first started adopting even basic triage. So Britain led the way in this case? Well, France. Well, then Britain. Then Britain. Yeah. Yeah. France led the way in mercy. Britain led the way in um, saying, like, no, we got to let some people die here. Right. Well, I would say efficiency and saving lives overall. Yeah. That's that was the, the idea. I mean, it's a very utilitarian way of looking at things. Yeah. And you, like, they're, they're like, got to be, got to have nerves of steel, got to have a kung fu grip. World War One, things changed again. Uh, they tweaked it, and now they said, all right, maybe we should treat. And do you know if this was what country this was or just generally? This is a, a U.S. Army manual. It was. But apparently the U.S. wasn't alone in this. It was like a, it seems like a, a worldwide movement a shift right. in, in triage. Which was to treat uh how many people can you treat in the shortest amount of time? Yeah. So like maybe people that don't need as much, but are savable. Yeah. And the, the basis of this is even more steely nerved than, than, um, John Wilson's shift. Yeah. Because this is saying not ignore that person. They're probably going to die. It's it, this person is going to die. Yeah. who You could probably save but too much, but attention. it's going to take up too much time and the yeah. time that it takes to save this person's life. And you probably could save it. You could have fixed up 12 people right. who weren't going to die, but can get back out and fight the war a lot faster if you work on them. Man. And that was, I think, the thinking behind it, patching up people who are more likely to be able to return to battle yeah. rather than saving lives of people who uh, might not be able to right. or who would take up a lot of time. Hard choices. Yeah, that's, uh, that's super utilitarian. That was, like you said, a surgical manual out of the military at the time said this, quote, a single case, even if it urgently requires attention, may have to wait for in that time a dozen others, almost equally exigent, but requiring less time, might be cared for. And four people died while I read that right. <laughs> on the battlefield. Yeah. You could have really summed that up quicker. Yeah. Uh, should we take a little break? Sure, man. All 
right, my friend. Uh, there are, we've been talking about the battlefield so far and its yeah. history. Uh, yeah, that was the origin of it. But, uh, if you go to the ER, and actually I haven't been to the ER much at all in the last, jeez, much at all in my life. That's good. But since I was a kid, but I did go in New York, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> when I got sick. Yeah. I went to the emergency room in New York City, uh, Beth Israel, uh-huh. and it was, man, it was a little, a little scary. Just like, the, the scene there. Sure, yeah. It wasn't like, I'm sort of used to the hospitals around here, kind of nicer. Mm-hmm. Like, it had seen its better days. Oh, I got you. The ER room mm-hmm. and the waiting room. And it was, it's sad to see the people that are in there that need help, you know, in a big city like that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's not like, you know, my kid fell down and bumped his head. Right. It's like, you know, it was disturbing. I I'll can just, imagine. I'll just say that. Yeah. <laughs> but I was triaged when I first got there. And that's what'll happen to you when you go to an ER. There, there's going to be a triage nurse. Somebody runs up to you and throws glitter in your face and says, you've been triaged. <laughs> that's after someone already threw molasses on your face so <laughs> yeah. the glitter would stick. Make sure it sticks. Yeah. So a triage nurse is going to come by and that, that uh, dude or that lady is going to say, hi, welcome to Beth Israel. Sorry about the mess. Um, let's check you out. Uh, watch your step. There's some blood. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they will do a, an assessment. They're going to look at you and say, you know, do you, this guy has a, a spoon coming out of his ear. <laughs> so I can make a snap judgment that you need quick help. Yeah. Or this dude, in my case, was just holding his belly. And so he looks like he can wait. Yeah. He looks like he just needs to shoot a duck. <laughs> he can sit here and hold that for a little while, right? She said, here, let me pull your finger. Everything will be all right. And uh, there's what you're describing, this ER triage that's done by a triage nurse, uh-huh. right? The first person, about the first person you see when you come to an ER, when they're doing triage, it's not constant necessarily. They have been trained to do this, but they're also following flow charts. There's, there's triage protocols, different yeah. ones. And there's one from Manchester, UK. Uh-huh. And it's, from what I understand, the international gold standard for triage. Oh, yeah? The Manchester Triage System. Wow. And it's... Sounds it's, like a band. Yeah, it is. Like Manhattan Transfer. <laughs> sort of. Um, but it's like, it, it's a flow chart. And it basically says, like, um, are they breathing? No. Get them immediate help. Yeah. Like, yeah. stop right now and immediately get them into a, a place where a life-saving intervention can be carried out, right? Sure. Um, and then there's some other ones. But it seems like breathing... Is the focus of it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it is. But, but I mean, you think about it, you would think there'd be some other ones too, like, as, are there, is there blood coming out of their ear or something yeah. like that? No, it's mostly breathing. Like, if, if you're breathing. Then you're alive. There's a pretty good chance you're, you're gonna make it, especially if you have a normal breathing pattern, right? right. Um, and, but then there's some other ones, like if, if the person's not responsive, uh-huh. or if they're drooling. Right. Apparently is another one. Um, there were a couple of droolers in the ER at Beth Israel. They should have been seen immediately, yeah. according to the Manchester um, triage system. Mm-hmm. So um, there's like a flow chart. You don't have to. It's not necessarily just the, the nurse's subjective judgment. Yeah. It's not supposed to be. I'm sure it is in like high stress situations and with really highly trained triage nurses. They can just be like, yeah, uh, this 
move that person there. You go sit down. Yeah, they've seen it you all. You go home. Um, but for the most part, it's supposed to be a, um, a, an objective system. Right. That you can just consult and be like, oh, okay, well, here. Here's where you fit. Yeah. So. Here, piece of paper. You're so smart. Why don't you just triage everybody <laughs> yourself? Well, beyond the initial, uh, uh flowchart too, they're also going to take some vitals. Um, hear your complaint and your medical history, allergies, all that good stuff, uh, medications you might be on, and then take your vitals, blood pressure, temperature, all that good stuff. Yeah, if if you're not in that group where they're just like, right. yep, send them right back. Yes. And by the way, I'm not knocking Beth Israel because Nurse Eddie there, this dude. The guy who didn't believe that you were sick? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he was amazing uh-huh. and took wonderful care of me and was like the typical New York nurse that you might think of. Sure. This sort of like he had the accent and he was like a very kind of cool customer dude. Like I would have felt very comfortable walking into his arms with like a gunshot because <laughs> I'm sure he could have like totally taken care of me. Yeah. But he did get a little like, like they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me at first. Right. And then after I got better and they knocked me out and gave me fluids and I woke up, mm-hmm. I had a, I was like, all right, great. And you know, I'm out of here. And I felt this lump. Remember that? Felt a lump behind my ear, the size of a golf ball. Yeah, and I walked back in. I was like, "Nurse Eddie, dude, I got like, what is this?" And he kind of gave me one of those looks, like, "Oh, you're one of those guys." And I was like, "I'm not a hypochondriac or med seeking. I'm never at the doctor. I've never been to the ER hardly. Like, please don't look at me with those eyes, Nurse Eddie." Yeah, and um, he felt it, and I was like, "See, it's like it's huge." Right. And I think he determined that it was some kind of, like he had a, a doctor come over and they determined it was a, just a swelling of a uh, lymph node. Yeah. From, from brought on by hypochondria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brought on by my sickness. But anyway, big shout out to Nurse what did, Eddie. It, it turned great. out to be you had snakes in your belly? Yeah. I passed out on the subway. Yep. Woke up two days later in Coney Island and I had 13 <laughs> snakes in my belly. <laughs> no more, no less. So weird. Yeah. so um they gather these details in the triage doesn't take long they use a color-coded system in some hospitals numbers in some Mm -hmm. or both depends on where you are yeah what's this is uh, astounding to me it's not universal like the the colors aren't universal numbers seem to be like nobody does it backwards but the colors should be the exact same too I agree. So, for example, like in Manchester's jam, like the worst of all is red. Code I red. I see red making sense. Yeah. No, another triage system, blue's the worst. Code blue. Yeah, I think you hear that a lot on American TV. But it's a, it's a real thing, at least in the States. Uh-huh. So I, I think that everybody should get together and agree on a color system. Right. Because the whole point of triage is... Rapid fire. Let's get this done. Yeah. Not. Oh well. Which system did you triage them? Why? Because I'm. I'm. I. I enjoy spotted tea, so I'm a fan of the Manchester <laughs> system. So this. This red is completely odd to me. Yeah, but you know the one your hospital uses, so you're probably not getting confused as the triage nurse. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's true. But I mean, I know what you mean. There's just you should you should go out of your way to. Um, Take out any possible. Yeah, you get transferred confusion. to another hospital. Yeah, there's just. I think there should be universal colors. I agree. I have a strong opinion on that. I totally agree. Uh, if you're a kid, you may get sent to closer to the front of the line, um, or if you have a history of illness or uh, 
like you have cancer or something, like if you have a, a outstanding condition already, mm-hmm. you may be shuffled to the front. Yeah. Um, or, and this makes a lot of sense to me, a lot of times now they have what they call a different track. They have two tracks. Yeah. Um, if you're in severe distress, you're in one, get to you right away. But if you have another one, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to wait eight hours. They'll just put you in a different track. Right. For the less severe cases. Yeah. You go see the doctor who's been caught drinking on the job. <laughs> you know? That's right. All right. Well, let's talk about those color codes since you mentioned it. Okay. Here in the U.S., code blue, like you said, is the most, that means come right away. I understand the use of blue. It's, um. Like they're turning blue? Yes. Cyanotic. Okay. Right? It, it makes sense, but yeah. again, Red makes sense, too. Yeah, you hear code red, and that doesn't sound great. No. It doesn't make me think like, oh, they'll be fine. Well, code red is category two, though, so it is serious. Okay. Uh, that means they require immediate attention, but they're just not blue. Right. They're still breathing. Uh, then what do you got? You got uh, orange, mid-level. Okay. You got gray, which means you're sick. But it's like a bad cold. Really, gray should be the worst. If you're gray, you've already passed blue. <laughs> That's true. You're a cadaver. Uh, and then the least urgent is green, which just means you want someone to love you. <laughs> yeah. It means you're, you're med-seeking. Yeah, you shouldn't be in the ER, basically. Right. And that's not a joke. That literally means you don't have an emergency. Right. They they If, if you are deemed code uh, green, five. Do they send you home? Uh, yeah, or else they'll be like, "There's a minute clinic down right. the street. Go there." Yeah, you you don't you you're wasting valuable resources here. Okay, go away. So then, across the pond, in the under the Manchester scale, the worst is code red, mm-hmm. followed by code orange, then code yellow, then code green, then code blue, and then code Earl Grey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, code blue is the least. Yes. Yeah, so you got a point. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you can't have one color be the worst possible thing. Yeah. And one color be the, the least dangerous. Especially in an increasingly globalized world. Yeah. I don't like it either. Um, what can we do? Should we start a movement? Uh, yes, we should. Online petitions? Mm-hmm. How does that get done? Or just yell about it on Facebook? Uh, I think the Facebook one, that's, that's, that's the best shot we have. That's how you accomplish things. <laughs> yeah. Um, triage, if there's, I mean, we talked about battlefield, we talked about regular ER, but then there's, of course, like, when bad things happen, like in New York when that building exploded. Yeah, th- those are called incident triage. Yeah, like a natural disaster or something. Yeah. Uh, that Harlem explosion, right? It was a gas explosion in Harlem. Yeah. Um, so, Triage works anytime there's a scarcity of resources and a high demand of for medical care. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It's just it's healthcare rationing. Mm-hmm. It's it's, a, it's saying like we don't have enough resources for all you people, so we're gonna have to figure out who's worse. Yeah, right. And you're supposed to do it very quickly. But yeah, with incident triage, um, there's actually a really clever thing called the Met Tag. That, and that article you sent was awesome. And it was a fast code design article. And that was really neat. There's basically a triage code system that's used out in the field um, that you'll see 
people who are victims of like an explosion or a plane crash or something like that. And they'll have tags around their necks mm-hmm. with a color code attached. And it was invented by a guy named Robert Bludgett um, in Jacksonville, Florida in the early 1960s in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. It did not exist. Um, he was a civil defense director. And America was super scared, especially mm-hmm. Florida at the time, because the Soviet Union had... Uh, nuclear missiles pointed at us right off the coast. Right. Uh, what, 90 miles off the coast of Florida? And people were freaking out. Yeah. And um, he was one of them. He wasn't freaking out. He seemed like a cool customer. Yeah, but he was definitely worried. Yeah. But no, he doesn't seem like he was freaking. Yeah, he I'm wasn't sure. running around going yeah. like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But he had a bomb shelter at his house. Sure. Don't you think? Anybody who was anybody had a bomb shelter back then. I told, I think I mentioned before, my dad went to build one after the day after movie. <laughs> and, um, it was his obsession for a month, like, you know, every Saturday for a month. I don't remember. Did he complete it? No. No. He got about a third of this dirt room dug out behind a wall. <laughs> like, my brother and I basically were the, was, we were the cheap labor. Uh huh. You know, we were carrying buckets of dirt out in the woods. Yeah, he'd come down with like a high life and be like, how's it going down here? How's my project coming? He didn't drink, but yeah, he would come down with his uh, his buttermilk and cornbread. <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, he of course he didn't finish it. He didn't because come close what, you guys finish. went on strike or something? Uh, no, he just like a, a lot of people that probably saw the day after. A month later, they're like, eh. <laughs> Not so scared. That's an awesome story. Um, so anyway, this guy has, uh, Mr. Blodgett definitely had a completed shelter. Oh, yeah. There's no way he bailed. He probably swept it like every couple days even. <laughs> well, his deal was he made it, uh, it was really pretty brilliant. It was a two-sided laminated card, a lanyard. And he said, you know what, this thing needs to be kind of universal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to put pictures and colors and things right. of... Uh, like, you know, a symbol that represents blood pressure and your sex and what time it is. Mm-hmm. Imagine those little clock on there. Yeah. Um, so anyone can read this thing no matter what happened. Right. And then um, you would be assigned a color code depending on the severity of your injury or illness, right? Yeah. Um, just like in a, an ER. Um, but... It, this this lanyard around your neck, they would tear off the colors that you weren't. So it was pro- progressive, right? If you had one, I think it was green, you were fine. Yeah. No problems. Uh, and then it got progressively worse. And like you said, there were some pretty clever symbols, including, um, I think on the green one, there's an ambulance with a circle with a slash through it. Like, don't even put this person on an ambulance. They're fine. Right. They can probably they can probably help you out if you need assistance in like uh, applying pressure to a wound. Right. Oh, yeah. Green's fine. Um, it went all the way to black, and the black said morgue on it. Ooh. And it said in this article, it was really unsettling that if you had a, a met tag around your neck and the the only tag that was left. Was a black one? Yeah, because they ripped them off one by one, right? As you or they could rip off like three if like they right. just knew. It meant you're a goner. You might still be alive right now. And you're looking you're at about that to tag. die where you're laying right now. Oh, boy. Isn't that awful? Because it said morgue on it, too. Yeah. So you could look and be like, oh. I imagine if you're in that kind of condition, you don't need that black tag to let you know that time is near. 
yeah, probably not. But if you're holding out hope, yeah, it does not help. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's good. you give up the ghost. But again, the whole idea of of disaster or battle battlefield triage is it's a necessary kind of sad thing that you have to do to save more people. Yeah, it's know? the mercilessness of a compassionate um, profession. Yeah, you know. All right, well, let's take a break, and we'll talk a little bit more about these uh, tags right after this. All right, so this guy, Mr. Blodgett, he actually sold these through. I don't know if he got the money. That's what I was. He didn't. Of, he didn't. I think he found somebody who was like, "We can distribute these widely. Uh huh. Your your idea will be set in stone, but we're keeping the money." The American Civil Defense Association is who he gave them to to sell. That's the impression I have. All right. Well, good on him. You know. Yeah. Hero. Hero. Uh, Anybody and- who gives up. Money. Intellectual property rights <laughs> as a hero. Agreed. Um, so it said here in the heyday that they were selling about a hundred thousand of these a year to agencies, mm-hmm. which is uh, no small number. And um, I didn't see how much they sold them for, though. Eh, they were in bulk, so yeah, like Scantron sheets or something. Yeah, probably not a lot of money. But um, they went on to be refined years later uh, in. Uh, when was this? This was after the Oklahoma uh, building explosion, right? Yeah, the bombing. Yeah, the Alfred P. Murrah building. Mm-hmm. Is that pronounced right? Murrah. Murrah? I think. I'm pretty sure it's Murrah. I just see out of the corner of my eye, Jerry nodding and shaking her head. I don't know what means what. She's speaking <laughs> circles. Um, there was a, a LAPD fire department. Um, well, two guys, actually. Uh, Dennis Ortiz and his brother. Mm-hmm. And they uh, were working at, like I said, at L.A. County Fire Department. And when when I get, were they on the scene in Oklahoma at the time, or were they? No, just, no. I think they, they, they were there to help. They were moved by it. Okay. They were like, uh, if something happened like that in L.A., yeah. would we do we have like the resources we need? That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So he went to get these tags uh, from L.A. County, and these met tags. He said were basically disintegrating in my hand. I guess because they were just so old. Mm. And he said, "There's, there should be a new tag, and this is sad, but also necessary for uh, terrorist disasters mm-hmm. and terrorist attacks." Yeah, and it was a pretty great idea. So he in- now included this new tag with things like uh, biological contamination, uh, radioactive contamination, um, diagrams for blast injuries, uh, personal property receipts, stuff like that. Yeah, it's like a trifold package it's it's got everything yeah. all the bells and whistles you need right I- including basically a, a revised improved met tag so a, a met tag for the new yeah i think age. they're called smart tags now oh really smart everything yeah well another thing they can do too is um a lot of times you might not have these tags so they'll literally write go around with sharpies and write on people uh-huh uh in a, in the case of a disaster i wonder if people can feel you writing <laughs> right. The word on your forehead or something. Yeah. I can feel you writing morgue on my forehead. I know what you're doing. That's not good. Did you ever play that game when you were little where you would draw on someone's back and you would try to guess what they were doing? Yeah, drawing? I was always terrible at that. I, I was bad too, but it felt so good. 
I love back scratches, so it was always like, oh, draw something really elaborate. Draw a Lorenzo tractor. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. But Chuck, whether it's in a, a incident triage or an ER triage or something like that, it's, um, uh, well, I should say in an ER triage, there's a spectrum of triage, right? Yes. And ER is about the most calm, stable version of it. Even a chaotic, crazy ER in like yeah. a big city, uh, compared to, on the other end, uh, the site of a massive disaster mm-hmm. that's not just impacted a bunch of people. It's probably affected like the healthcare infrastructure as well. Yeah. Uh, without, within that spectrum, there's different types of triage. And usually the worse it is, the faster your assessment has to be. Right. So like out on a battlefield, um, they've come up with basically a two, two point, um, triage assessment. It's called the field triage score. It's part of the tactical combat casualty care methodology, right? Yeah. Where they feel your pulse and then they give you a rating of awareness on the Glasgow coma scale. Right, which we covered in our coma podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently if you put those together, it's a pretty good predictor of whether somebody's going to survive their injuries or not. Man. So like if you're out of it and your pulse is low, move along. That person's a goner in that situation. Wow. Whereas... If that person came into an ER in the suburbs um, or a trauma center or something like that, they might have a really good chance of making it. Yeah. But depending on the situation along that spectrum of triage, um, you're you're going to, de- depending on where you are on that spectrum, yeah. physically, literally, um, you may just get passed over or you may have your life saved. Man, you got to have nerves of steel to be a first responder. Yeah. You know? and, and we should also say too, once you're given a code, um, you like that's not it's not static. Like it can change. You're, yeah, you, you can, can deteriorate over time. You can time. wipe it off and <laughs> right. switch tags with yeah. the person next to you. Right. But no, you're absolutely right. Like to 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 say like I want to save your life, but I I can't. Uh-huh. I've got to leave you there to die. Unbelievable. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's metal. Yeah, not for me. That's metal. In both spellings. Yeah, it is. <laughs> two D's and a T. Or a T. Uh, no, two T's and an L-E. Oh, it's M-E-T-T-L-E. Yeah. Why did I think it was M-E-D-D-L-E? Because that's like meddling. <laughs> if you went and rearranged everybody's met tags, that would be meddling. It's I'm amazing metal of, and like metal. It, I know. It's amazing the amount of dopey things I say on the show and oh, people still think dude. I like have anything to offer the world. I've got you beat by like four or five times, I think. I don't think so. I think so. Um, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's, well, we've talked about what's good about it. Um, pretty much everything because it will save ultimately more lives. Yeah, but it has its critics. Well, yeah. And a lot of times, you know, when you go to the ER, we're not talking battlefield or disaster, mm-hmm. but when you go to the ER, you want to get seen as quickly as possible. Because it's the worst. Yeah. My thumb hurts. Yeah. And it's taking so long. You look around and you're like, well, that person doesn't look so bad off. Yeah. Why are they going in? Or yeah. I've been here for an hour. This guy just came in and he got seen and yeah. he doesn't look too bad. That, that kid's breathing. Yeah. Why is he going ahead of me? Ba- yeah. I mean, they hear a lot of, I mean, ERs have to field a lot of complaints. Yeah. About wait times. And there's a lot of people who end up in what's called the LWBS category. Is that where they send complainers? Left without being seen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some people just give up. They're like, forget it. I'm not sitting around here any longer. I could see me doing that. 
Yeah, you just become indignant, or you're like, I, I, I feel like eating some cereal. Well, I just don't like to wait, and maybe it would have to be something where it subsided enough to where I was like, I think I'll be all right. Right. Not like an injury. Right. Unless I thought I could sew it up myself, <laughs> Rambo style, which Emily's dad did once. What did he, he like sew sewed a cut in his arm himself Crazy. one time with needle and thread? Did he put gunpowder in it and light it on fire to cauterize <laughs> the wound? He should have. I would have done it. Uh, and apparently, th- they interviewed someone from uh, for our House of Works article from our great children's hospital here, Scottish Rite. Mm-hmm. And this doctor said, especially at children's hospitals, you get a lot of upset parents. Sure. That they don't really get the triage thing. Yeah. Well, um, there have been studies actually that there was a, there was one very famous study from the 1990s. I think actually 1990. And then it had, there was such an outcry against it as far as criticism of the study went because the study, the study's findings were very critical of the triage as a whole, Uh like the concept of it. Um, that the authors actually wrote another study responding to the criticisms of their original study. Wow. And I was reading that and they're basically in the original study, they found that triage when it's actually done, leads to longer wait times for the people who need the most immediate care, like huh. gets in the way. Wow. And that it didn't have any impact on patient satisfaction, meaning people didn't feel like they were um, being cared for better than when they weren't exposed to triage. Huh. So um, they the the people just said, this is what we found. Yeah. A lot of people were like, this is a BS study. Uh, but it, it does make sense. There are critics to triage saying like, no, this is unnecessary. Uh, it, it's clumsy. It gets in the way. It's an extra layer, a barrier between a patient and treatment. So what should, should it be? be removing first come, those? first serve? Um, like someone's got to say this guy's got a spoon in his ear. I think for the most part, the critics don't have a, an alternative. Oh, uh, okay. And that, you know, triage can help. But I think there's a... It's almost a cult of triage where like, yeah, of course triage helps. You're an idiot for saying anything different. And right. these scientists were saying like, it's not, it's not perfect. Right. Um, but I don't know what an alternative would be in the case of really scarce resources. Well, here's one, not alternative, but one, uh, other way of doing things. And they did this, uh, at the Kaiser Permanent South Sacramento Medical Center. Kaiser Permanente. They forgot the E. Oh, they did. Kaiser Permanent is what they said here. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does permanente mean either? What is, uh, what is that? I think it means permanent in Spanish. Oh, okay. Who's Kaiser? Uh, that means, uh, permanent in German. (laughs) So the permanent, permanent. (laughs) No, that means, uh, role. A delightful type of role (laughs) that's permanent. Gotcha. A German role forever. Uh, see? Yeah, yeah. Four times. Mm -hmm. So um, they employed something from the LEAN, the Lean Thinking Principle in Japan and their businesses. Is this like when they have people do like calisthenics and that kind of thing? <laughs> I don't know. No? I don't know. I want to look into what that is. It sounds interesting. Well, it's like a, a cutting down on waste. Right. It's yeah, all about I'm sure they, the Japanese probably figured out a way to insert calisthenics into <laughs> it. Um, or actually, I might be thinking of China. No, Japanese are into calisthenics too. Okay. Um, so they use this lead methodology and what they would do, and this makes a lot of sense. It was sort of like the two track thing, but if you have the minor injury, 
you actually have a doctor come out to the waiting room and uh, treat you in the waiting room or at least see you at first in the waiting mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely would give someone a sense of, well, I'm being tended to at least. I'm not just sitting over here holding my belly right. in pain. But it's also not like uh, you're on track to go sit over there and wait for a bed to come open so right. you can see. It's like you there. You don't have to wait for a bed. The doctor came to you instead. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. And they, they found it reduced uh, the left without being seen rate from 4.5% to 1.5%. Yeah. Uh, and the wait times fell by half, by 50%. Yeah, that's right. Wait times are one of my biggest complaints with modern medicine. Sure. It's the worst. Yep. Your appointment's at 1. You get in there at 2.15. Oh, man. Boy. Oh, boy. You want to see me get mad? Stick me in a waiting room with bad magazines. <laughs> <laughs> but if you got some mad magazines, you're like, this is delightful. Sure. Uh, the other criticism of triage is that it shouldn't be done at all, that withholding care under any circumstances is unethical. So what, just have like eight times as many doctors and nurses? I guess. Come on. Uh, if you want to know more about triage or sorting, um, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. I'm going to call this Lighthouse follow-up. we got a lot of really great pictures and emails from Lighthouse enthusiasts. Yeah? It's pretty cool. Uh, including ones that were for sale. So oh, I could yeah. live out my fantasy. Yeah, are you going to? No. How much are they? I didn't see. Um, I don't know. I didn't. I don't remember any prices. Look it up on Zillow. I just, I bought like two of them and I didn't catch the uh, the price. <laughs> You're just like, here's a bunch of money. Bring me those lighthouses. Hey guys, I listened to your lighthouse episode and it was uh, so excited to hear. As last year, I visited every lighthouse on Oregon's coast. Wow, all six per state. Uh, such a good year-long goal. That's what she said. I agree. That's cool. Uh, anyhow, I wanted to tell you about one of um, our coolest, in my opinions, is Terrible Tilly. Uh, she was built on a rock a mile offshore. You can see pictures. It's really neat. Mm-hmm. It's one of these that's like just out there in the middle of the ocean. Uh, many men died trying to construct it in the 1870s, and many men died while keeping the light. That was decommissioned in 1957 and was sold. Um, after her sale... Tilly became a graveyard, so to speak. Uh, sailors would be cremated and have their ashes stored in the lighthouse. Uh, during the seasonal storms, when the waves break into the lighthouse, the ocean chooses who she takes back with her to be buried in her bosom. Well, it's very poetic. It's pretty romantic in a Victorian or Gothic way. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Uh, thanks for all you guys do. I look forward to listening to your podcast every week. And I evangelize stuff you should know, uh, the stuff you should know gospel to all my friends, and that is from Kendra. And Kendra used the word evangelize and bosom in the same email. And gothic. So that means straight to the top of the pile. Thanks a lot, Kendra. That was indeed a great email. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 